Well, good morning. It is great to see everyone here today. Uh, let me uh, begin this way. Uh, today marks a special day in the life of our church. Uh, today is the 33rd anniversary for Northside as a constituted church, and that is a special day for us. And as I share that, uh, I look out in this auditorium and I actually see uh, a few faces that have been here on this journey for that entire... Th I've been here 28 of those years, but there are some of you that have been here for that entire 33-year journey. And if you would, would you stand for just a moment? Go ahead. Come on. I see you. I see, there you go. Amen. There we go. There we go. Very good. We love you and thank you. You know, I dare say those that were standing over these 33 years, there's probably been a time or two where their feelings got hurt. <laughs> I bet there was once when we didn't offer a ministry they wanted. Probably a time when the pastor said or did something they didn't appreciate. Um, probably not this one, but the pre my predecessor, of course. <laughs> but um, Teasing. But there's been times where maybe the church didn't offer all they could or times when they question or times when they didn't even agree, but yet for 33 years you've remained faithful and here and we love you and appreciate you very much. And I hope that they stand as a reminder to all of us too that we would share that same testimony one day as well uh, through all transitions and everything else that we would understand that concept of, of church home, church family, and church life together that isn't always perfect but it's always worth the journey. Amen? With that said, I'm going to uh, continue. I'm spilling water everywhere. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I wasn't going to say anything, but now I've made a mess, and I better address it. Uh, something got me. I don't know what it is, but I feel like I've been hit by a bus today, and I don't know what my voice is going to do. So if it cracks out in the middle, uh, if I do this, there's a deacon. Keith, just come on up and, and finish. The notes are right here, all right? Uh, I'll, I'll tap you in, but... Let's jump in this morning. Uh, we're continuing our study in the minors. Today, we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. Now, I know as I say Habakkuk, uh, we think, well, that's not somewhere we go very uh, often and, or frequently, and, and I couldn't help but be reminded when I was first uh, wrestling with my call to ministry and trying to understand what that was and uh, many years ago, and I had uh, kind of come to that place where I, I was ready to pursue that and began talking with uh, the pastor here at Northside at that time, and I was still working in the corporate world in Brentwood, uh, but the uh, Tennessee Baptist Convention was meeting in Franklin, very close to where I worked, and, and he said, well, I'll tell you what, there's a pastor's conference. Why don't you meet me over there tonight, and uh, you'll hear some great preaching and things, and we'll talk, and I said, well, that'd be great, and so, uh, so I show up, and here I am, you know, just uh, this young kid just really trying to understand my calling and my desire uh, to be in full-time ministry vocationally and I'm in this room just just filled with, with all these pastors and I'm, I'm looking around at them and, and then the pastor comes up to speak and he says all right guys uh, if you would take out your Bibles and open them to the book of Habakkuk and I thought oh my right here I am uh, the pastor of Northside sitting right beside me. I'm in a room full of pastors. I'm like, okay, uh, it's Old Testament. It's minor prophet. It's close to the end. I'm and I'm noticing they're all there, right? And in the back of my mind, as eternity is just standing still, right? I hear like the, the theme of the final jeopardy. Do, 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 do. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm searching just aimlessly trying to get there. And I, and I finally landed. But I remember being just almost humiliated, thinking every eye is on me. Can I find this book? And so I thought about that as I was opening up. So hopefully that's given you plenty of time 
time now uh, to find the book of Habakkuk. But if not, don't feel uh, the pressure that I did because it's available on the church app this morning. All you got to do is click on that, and I've already put the notes uh, and the text in there for you. Well, if you're new on this journey with us, uh, the minor prophets, though they're called, we reference them as minor prophets, but they're not minor at all. They're only minor in in their length. Uh, They're actually full of major prophecies, and I certainly believe we see that today. Habakkuk is very similar to the uh, previous minor prophets that we've looked at so far in both Joel and Nahum, uh, where he addresses, once again, Israel's departure from God and then what is required then for that restoration to come back in fellowship with him. And once again, Habakkuk is only three chapters, right? So for your reading this week, again, very easily. Unlike Joel and, and Nahum, however, Habakkuk is not a record of God speaking through the prophet to the people of Israel. But really, this book is kind of a back and forth dialogue uh, between this prophet Habakkuk and God, right? And I believe it's one that as we look at this today and and as you read the entire uh, book this week, I think it's one that we can all relate to today as well, right? I I believe it's one we, we can understand because in it, Uh, Habakkuk reveals his doubts about God, about what God's doing and if God's there, and and, kind of just just opens himself up, right? And what I love about the book, though, is God doesn't rebuke Habakkuk's doubts. He he, he doesn't. He he doesn't condemn him. He doesn't, well, well, if you're doubting me, I'm walking away from you. But but what we see is he he engages him in that, and that's what we'll be reading today. Habakkuk, he, he, he had faith, but he was perplexed. Yeah, I wrote this down here. He believed, but he was baffled, right? He, he didn't understand what God was doing, and, and it was causing this doubt in his life. And as I was uh, reading and studying Habakkuk, I couldn't help but my mind go to, to the Gospels in Mark chapter 9. You remember the story when there was a man who had a son who um, had a demonic spirit, an evil spirit that had taken him over, and it was, it was horrible. They'd throw him on the ground, they'd throw him in fires, and it was all the time hurting the kid, and all these bad things were happening to him. Uh, and, the, and the father, as much as the, uh, his, his son was being injured, he was injuring him and his spirit. He was constantly protecting him. And uh, when the disciples came to town, and uh, he, he brought the, his son to the disciples, but they couldn't do anything to exercise the demon out of this, this boy. And so eventually then, then Jesus comes, and the man brings his son to Jesus. He says, Jesus, if you can, if you can do anything for him, please help my son. You remember Jesus' response? If. <laughs> Jesus said, if I can exercise that demon out? He said, listen, anything is possible to those who believe. And the man responded in this way, I believe, but help my unbelief. He said, this, I do believe in you. That's why I'm here. That's why I brought my son. I do believe, but but help my unbelief. I'm living in this situation constantly, and I'm not seeing these answers, and I've prayed about it, and the disciples have prayed over him, and all these things. I do believe. And really what he's saying is, but Jesus, help me believe even more. Hey, I believe. You ever been there? I believe. I know the wages of sin, and yet I still sin. I believe, but there are times when, God, I just can't fathom. God, I believe, but... I want to believe even more. Well, well, in essence, I think we see that in the book of Habakkuk as well. 
So in chapters one and two of this three-chapter book, you have that, like I said, that back and back, back and forth uh, dialogue where Habakkuk complains to God and then God answers him. But then we get to the end in chapter three and we have this beautiful praise and prayer of Habakkuk that uh, is just, uh, I think, so precious. And, and that's where I want us to land today as we close out. But what I want to do in the meantime, I want to pull just a few of these verses out and I want us to understand. I want us to take a deep dive into them and then hopefully that will just encourage and equip you for your study through the rest of this week. With that said, then let's begin there in chapter one and verse one. It says it's the pronouncement, or uh, if you're reading a different uh, translation, it may say the oracle, the pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw. Now, I'm going to go ahead and stop there uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we see something unique about this uh, prophetic book, that it is this vision that God, so it, it was in some sort of vision that he had this back and forth dialogue with God. Also, just like the, the prior uh, minor prophets we've looked at, everything we know about Nahum really comes out of this one verse, right? Uh, we know that he prophesied uh, just prior to Nebuchadnezzar invading Israel, which means that would have to have been 605 BC. That was at that same time, you'll recall, when, when Daniel was captured and that remnant was kept. We know that his name means embracer, and that's what we got. <laughs> that's it. Just like the other prophets, all we have is that beginning. And I think that's important to us because he's not known for himself, but what God did or spoke through him. And man, wouldn't that be great to be said of us as well? Not that, that, that our legacy would be just in us, but what God did through us. And, and that's certainly his case. Well, this, let's look in at this dialogue that takes place. First of all, we see the first complaint from Habakkuk, picking up in verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Now, I think what Habakkuk is laying out here before God in just all openness and honesty has probably been on our thoughts, minds, and hearts in recent days as well. Amen? In verse 3 then, what we see though, what you need to understand, here Habakkuk is speaking about the Jews among themselves, right? He's not talking about their enemies attacking him. He's talking about the, the justice, that the, the law uh, is ineffective it is ineffective within the Jewish community, right? And that they are the ones who are perverting justice. And so then in verses two and three there, he says, so God, why don't you do something? God, why don't you do something? You, you know what's taking place. Why don't you do something about it? Can anybody relate to that? You ever been to a place, maybe you're watching the news or, or maybe it's just even in your own personal life and you say, God, why don't you do something? You, you ever been there? Well, that's certainly where Habakkuk was. God, why don't you do something? Or today we would say something like this. How could a loving God allow his children to suffer? Maybe you've been there. <laughs> Maybe you've been there personally, right? God, if you love me, how could you let me suffer right now? And I think most people ascribe to a belief about God in this way. If he's good, he would. If he could, he should. And if he doesn't, he isn't. Is that fair? 
I mean, if he's good, then he would take care of this for me. He wouldn't let me suffer. If he could, then he should. He should fix all my problems. He should take away all my pain. And if he chooses not to, then he must not be real. Or at least he doesn't love me. But remember this too. Hey, listen, God's plan for man was what? It was the Garden of Eden. That's, that's what God did for us. It was man. Remember our study in Genesis? Man ushered in sin to this world. Man is the one who chooses injustice. Man is the one. We are the ones. I am the one who, who consistently and constantly chooses sin over righteousness. So that's our choice. And so God then responds to Habakkuk in verse 5. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded. For I'm going to do something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories, not its own. Well, God does respond. He, 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 he responds to Habakkuk. And here's what he says. Oh, I'm going to do something. Oh, I'm going to do something, and you are not going to believe it. Habakkuk, I'm going to do something that you can't fathom. You can't imagine. Paul would, would quote God's response to Habakkuk 650 years later in Acts chapter 13 in verse 41. And God's saying, listen, I'm going to do something far greater than, than what's on your heart and mine right now, far greater than, than crops, livestock, fortified cities. That's what you're thinking. All you can picture is the here and now. And God says, listen, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something far greater. In fact, if we jump ahead to chapter 2 and verse 14, he says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. God says this, and I'm going to do something you can't imagine. It's going to be more than just meeting your need right now. He said, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I really am. He said, I'm going to do something far greater. See, from God's perspective, he knew what was coming. Not only in Habakkuk's days, but one day. As we're going to celebrate here in just a few weeks, the, the advent of Jesus Christ. Habakkuk, I, I know you, if I tried to share the gospel with you right now, you wouldn't believe me or understand it all, but I'm going to send my own son who's going to die for everyone. And then one day, he's going to return for that second advent. And when he comes in, he's going to restore this earth, and everyone, all believers are going to live at peace together. Habakkuk, I can't even tell you what I'm about to do, <laughs> but trust me. It's going to be great. When I think like Habakkuk, we kind of always want to know exactly what God's up to, don't we? God, lay it out for me. Give me the bullet points. And yet from God's perspective, what he knows is it's far better for us not to know. Not to know what he's doing. I was recently counseling with, uh, with someone who was really struggling with the unknown. At the end of the day, they were sharing all these issues with me and all they were struggling with. But at the end of the day, it was because they didn't know what lied ahead. They didn't know the future. They didn't know how things were going to end. They had a lot of answers that, or a lot of questions that they just didn't have answers to. And I remember sharing them. I said, you know, life a lot of times is like a novel, right? And you don't just get the book and then flip to the last few pages and read it to find out how it's going to end, right? You don't do that. You shouldn't do that. Because if you do, even though you would know the ending, you would miss that journey through the pages. You would, you would miss that, that journey of reading the book, that success of, 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 of completing something, that, 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 that knowledge that the book has for you, that fulfillment in going through it. 
you know, in life, even though we know the ultimate ending, God's saying, don't miss the journey. Yeah, you, you, you know, we know the ending, and that should be good enough, but don't miss the journey to get there. But in our circumstances, in our circumstances, we've got to trust that God has a plan, a plan that we can't even fathom. As I was thinking about this, and of course, our personal journey with my son, I thought, you know, if I had known how and when my son's story would end, I wouldn't have been as faithful. I wouldn't have. I know I wouldn't have. I may have walked away. I, I don't know. But I know I wouldn't have been as faithful. I certainly wouldn't have been hopeful, not to the level that I was, if I had known how it would end. But I also know this, looking back, I would have missed so much. If I had known how it was in, it, it would have affected how I took that journey. And I would have missed all that God had for me. And as hard as it is to say, I, I wouldn't take anything for that journey. We should have ended differently, but I wouldn't take anything for the journey that God took us down. Sometimes it, it's best not to know. Even though in our heart of hearts, we, we want to know. And so here then, the, uh, God talks about the, the Chaldeans or the uh, Babylonians that, that he's going to use to bring this about uh, in Judah. And, and what you have to understand, they were the worst enemies of Judah at this time, right? They, they were the worst. And in fact, remember last week we were looking um, in the book of Nahum and, and, and referencing back to Jonah as well. And you remember he actually used the Babylonians, Chalde Chaldeans, uh, same thing, the Babylonians, to conquer the Assyrians, who were the worst in that moment. So th these were the, the worst of the worst. He said, well, well, why would God use a wicked people for the judgment of his children, of the ones he loves? I mean, they were, they were absolutely lawless. They, 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 they respected no one. They respected nothing, and they hated the Jews. Why on earth would God use them? And, and, and that's what Habakkuk wanted to know. So here's his second complaint with God. Pick up in verse 12. Are you not from eternity, Lord my God? My holy one, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself. Now, a few things here. First of all, in verse 13, he says that, God, you're pure. And God, because you, you are absolutely pure, you can't even look on evil. Now, for Bible students here today, you may recall that this verse is often referenced on the cross of Jesus Christ. You remember on some of Jesus' last breaths that he took and some of the last words he spoke, as he was nailed to that cross, he cried out, Lama, Lama, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Or my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And we read that in Scripture and we think, how could Jesus say such a thing? How, how could God possibly do such a thing? But we're reminded of this verse in Habakkuk here in verse 13. And we believe that this perfect God who Habakkuk references, that they, they, they can't even look on evil, has to turn his, his face, his, his head from his only son. Why? Because in that moment, Jesus became sin for us. 
He took on our wickedness. He took on the, the evil of this world. And God, who cannot look on that, turned his face, even from Jesus. And so he's saying, so God, surely not the Babylonians. This is wicked people. How can you even, you can't even look on them. They're, they're, they're wicked. And, and notice what he says, and we're righteous. Right? They're bad people, but God, we're, we're good people. You see, he had that same perspective that, that Jonah had we looked at last week. You remember John, Jonah believed that the Ninevites, they were, uh, they were a wicked people. They, they were beneath God's children, right, the Israelites, right? They, they, were, they were of lesser value to God, right, which is why he didn't want to go. He didn't want to go, he didn't want to go there and, and, and share about repentance to them, tell them about God because he knew that likely they would repent and God might actually save them. And because they were a lesser people, he didn't even want to go. And yet what we see in this is God paving the way for us, for the Gentiles even today that one day Christ would come, one day the gospel would go to the entire world. He was paving the way for Jesus. And friends, that's exactly why we see even in our world today, I referenced this I think in the second service, I don't know if I did in the first service, we see racism anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, we, we, we can go on and on with all the words, but all that boils down to the same thing. We look at someone else as less value than us. Amen? It's exactly what happens. That's what our world is filled with today, that, 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 that hatred and looking at people through different lenses as though God does, and God doesn't. He said, well, then how could a holy God use that unholy people? That, 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 that they weren't turning to God, and yet he used them to, to punish the Jews. Right? I mean, if you're God, God, how could you allow this? That, that's what Habakkuk is crying out. But can you imagine? I was studying this, and, and I couldn't help the, the correlation to today, right? Here, God is using this unholy, wicked people, the, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to, to usher in judgment to his chosen people Israel, can you imagine if today in our world that all that's happening in Israel, that if somehow God used Hamas to turn Jewish people to Christ, can you imagine? You think, they were, what a statement, what a, what a statement. Is that not what they were experiencing in their very day? Maybe, maybe God will. See, we want this is how I believe, we, especially in the church we live, we want judgment for our enemies and grace for our, our brothers and sisters. Amen? I want grace from God for me and my sins, and I want judgment on those that hate him. And God says, listen, I want grace for everyone. And shouldn't that be the heartbeat of the church? Church, shouldn't that be our desire? Grace for everyone? Our hearts should be as broken for eternal, for eternal suffering as it is for present suffering. Do you hear me? People who die and go out of this world, however wicked they are, are destined to eternal damnation in hell. And we shouldn't look on that as you're getting what you deserve. It should break our hearts. And it should compel us to go and to share the gospel with everyone. We should be broken over eternal suffering, just like we are our current suffering. Whatever's happening in our life at this very moment, we're broken. You know, hey, when something's happening to me, God fix this. 
We should have that same passion that people would turn to Christ for salvation. You know, I planned this, um, this series over three years ago. And, and as I was laying it out, I thought, man, how, how God constructed that just for today, for what's happening in our world today, that is just so on point as you read through the minor prophets, what they were experiencing and what we experience today. But then I realized it wouldn't matter what year I did this. That's always the truth, isn't it? That's all. Our world is broken. Our world is fallen. Our world is fractured. And so we live here until Christ's return. Now, no, we think, well, Habakkuk's great struggle. Why, God, why would you allow bad things to happen to good people? Anybody ever asked that? Anybody ever thought that? Anybody ever had that asked of them, right? Well, here's the, here's the follow-up question. Well, tell me who's good. Why does bad thing happen to good people? Who is it that's good? Because according to, to Jesus in Mark 10, 18, no one is good except God alone. He went on to remind the Jewish people that he was talking to at the time, hey, if your standard is the Ten Commandments, raise your hand if you followed them all. And, and none could. Well, my goodness, on this side of the cross, if our standard is to live as Christ, if that's our standard for being good, then who in this room is good today? I can't raise my hand. Amen? Well, we see then God's second response. Look at uh, chapter 2 and beginning in verse 2. The Lord answered me, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by faith. Here's God's answer to, uh, to Habakkuk. Wait. Hey, just wait. I'm going to do something great, but, but you've got to wait. Now, can I say this? Waiting is not passive like we think about it today. Right? Wait, wait, well, waiting means just sit still, do nothing. That's not it at all. In fact, uh, a waiter in a restaurant is anything but idle, amen? I got any waiters in here today? No? no? Anybody ever in, in their past be a waiter? Right? There you go. Hey, you don't just sit around, do you? Wait for the check. A waiter is the busiest person in that restaurant, right? Uh, at least outside of the kitchen. They're constantly going there. They're constantly checking on things. They're, they're constantly serving and attending to the needs of their customers, they're serving the entire time. Well, the same should be said of us, right? When we're waiting on God, we're constantly observing. We're constantly watching for where God is at work, and we're constantly serving. That, that's what we refer to as, as active faith. God, I'm not just asking this of you, and I'm going to sit around and do nothing and let you do all the work. I'm going to serve you until I see you at work. It's that faith on display. Waiting on God and faith in God go hand in hand. As we wait, we trust in Him. And as we trust in Him, we, we have active faith. We, we serve along the way. Habakkuk goes on in chapter 2 and verse 20. He says this, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let the whole earth be silence in His presence. Here's what he's saying. 
if God is still on his throne, then we can trust him with our unanswered questions. I haven't got my results yet. I haven't got my resolve yet. I haven't got my answer yet. But this much I know, God is still on his throne. God is still in control. Friends, just because you can't see, you can't hear, maybe you can't even feel it, it doesn't mean that God is not actively working in your life. How many times... You know, we, we always think about it. Well, here's, here's the times I, I can acknowledge Jesus did something, but how many times do you think God has been active in your life and you never saw it? How many times did, did he protect you from that accident? How, how many times did you go to that doctor's appointment and you didn't get the bad news and, and God did something there and you didn't even know about it? How often is he at work and, and you don't have a clue? Verse 3, then God reminds Habakkuk, hey, it's going to come but it's in my, I love that word, appointed time. God's got it on the calendar, but it's on his calendar, not ours. It, it's coming. Verse 4, for the righteous then live by faith. While you're waiting, live by faith, believing even when you can't see me, even when you don't understand what I'm doing, live by faith. Did you know Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 is referred to as the most well-known verse in all of Habakkuk, in all three chapters. It's quoted multiple times, uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, Galatians 3, 11, Hebrews 10, 38. Regularly, it's quoted that the righteous shall live by faith. Did you know Martin Luther, one of the fathers of Reformation, claims Habakkuk 2, 4 as his most transformational verse in his life? Because he said prior to that, I kept beating my head against a wall, try, trying to do all the right things and failing miserably, trying to read, trying to study, but never fully understanding, trying to live, but constantly sinning. He said, he said oh, I was just in this rat race of life, and I felt like I was never measuring up, ready to walk away from the faith until he read, for the righteous live by faith. Live by faith, by God's faith, by faith in him, that, that imputed righteousness. He said, for the first time, I understood what that means. It's not what I can do. It's not what I have, but it's what God has done in me. God is doing through me, and Christ has done for me. It's imputed righteousness, something that's given to you, not something you earn. He said that that was the most transformational verse in my entire walk with the Lord. That's exactly what Habakkuk did. Said he, 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 let's jump back to chapter 2 and verse 1 real quick. He said this, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. Habakkuk said this, Listen, I'm going to wait on God. I, I, I waited on him here like, like a guard posted on a lookout tower actively watching for God. And I love that because here's what, here's what he's laying out for us, and I think something we can relate to. He, he uses that analogy that he went to a, like a lookout tower to watch for God. See, he went to a high place. If you're ever lost, I'll give you, give you a little insight here. If you're ever lost in the woods, right, uh, the best thing you can do is find a higher vantage point, Right? That may mean climb a tree. That may mean climb a hill or, or a mountain. But, but what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to get away because when, when you're in the forest, all you see is the trees and, and you don't know what's out ahead. But, but if you can get up above all those trees, 
you can see way out in the distance. You, you can see the, the direction you're heading. Well, you know, that's true if you're lost in the woods. It's also true in our walk with the Lord. Sometimes we need to, we need to climb that tree. Sometimes we, we, we need to have some time with God, not so that we can see from our perspective, but we can see from His. See, when we get alone with God, when we dive into His Word, when, uh, when we get alone with Him in prayer, what He's going to do is He's going to elevate us above our current situation. He's going to allow us to look down on it through His perspective so we can see it differently. You say, boy, I, I tell you what, David, I, I wish God would speak to me like that. I wish I could have that conversation with God like Habakkuk did. Do you know what he did? He even recorded it. Put it in a book all together, bound it up. It's called the Bible. And do you know every time you read it, do you know he'll speak to you? Just as clearly as God spoke to Habakkuk every time you open his holy word, he'll speak to you. But you've got to open it. You got to read it. You, you got to pray about it. You, you got to spend time with God. Habakkuk got alone with God. He, he spoke to him. He, he got up to that high place. And friends, I promise he'll do that with you as well. If you'll take that time, if you'll seek him with, with an earnest heart, honest, just like Habakkuk was, God, I've got some issues, but I want to hear your perspective. He'll speak to you. We're going to close out, as I said, in chapter 3, picking up in verse 17. He says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Man, what, what a psalm of praise. I, I think this is one of the greatest psalms of praise in the entire Bible. Habakkuk said, even knowing what's happening and, and what's going to take place, I'm still going to praise the Lord. Did you know, oh, what time are we? Oh, I'm over time. I need to go. I need to stop, but I won't. Um, John Newton uh, wrote, wrote, penned the, the, the great song, Amazing Grace, credible testimony if you ever read it. Had a, a passionate love for his wife, but his wife got sick and, and, and eventually died, and he was absolutely heartbroken. I don't think they ever had children, and, and his wife was just everything to him in this world. And you know, when it came time for her funeral, those are the verses. Those are the verses that he shared, that though he was destitute, yet he would celebrate and rejoice in God. Verse 18, I will celebrate and rejoice in the Lord God. Not joy from God, but look, church, in God. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what's taking place, I can still rejoice in God, in my Lord. In verse 13, not he gives me strength, but he is my strength. God is the source of my strength. When I've got nothing left to give, when I've got nothing left to go on, God is still my strength. In other words, whatever happens to me, I'll praise the God who saves me because he is my strength and he is my salvation. When you read this week, you're going to notice um, several times in chapter 3, Habakkuk uses the word selah. Selah, 71 times you'll see it in Psalms, three times just in chapter 3 of Habakkuk. Now, we don't know what the meaning of that word is. It's believed to be a musical term, and it means to 
to pause or rest. And, and people more in tune to music than, than me will tell you that's some of the most powerful moments in an entire piece. The time you stop, you pause, you rest. And I want to ask us to do that right now. Let's take time, just pause. Give thanks to God, regardless of your circumstance. Give Him praise because He is your strength if He is your salvation.